This is Undisciplined. I'm Dayton Olander. 2020 was a difficult year, which saw the world face many challenges, some new, like the novel coronavirus, and others old. Today we're focusing on an issue that has plagued the United States for decades, and one that reared its head again last year, namely police brutality and the killing of unarmed racial minorities. The frustration over police use of force has been simmering for years in the United States, and tensions finally boiled over after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis last May, with public reaction escalating to nationwide demonstrations. There were protests, murals, marches, and poignant questions about how the U.S. criminal justice system could improve, all in hopes of making harrowing videos like the one of Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck a thing of the past. And it turns out that officer-involved killings have far more consequences than we may realize. Adding to that conversation is a new piece of research published in the February 2021 issue of the Quarterly Journal of Economics. The study focused on how police-involved killings affect inner-city high school students in Los Angeles, and found that a range of issues, including students' academic performance and their psychological well-being, can be impaired by such incidents, particularly for Black and Hispanic students. The author of this paper, Dr. Desmond Ang, is an assistant professor of public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School, where he studies the interplay between race, education, and government. He was kind enough to join us today. Dr. Ang, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Dan. I want to start our conversation talking about how specifically these inner-city students are impacted by officer-involved killings. Your paper discusses a myriad of effects, but let's begin with academic performance. What impacts are seen in the classroom following an officer-involved killing close to where students live? That's a great question. So, you know, immediately after a police killing occurs, at least in the setting we're looking at in Los Angeles, you see that these students who live close to these events uh, are much more likely to, to miss school the following day. Over several semesters, then you see them much more likely to experience significant decreases in their GPA across all their sort of like core academic classes, math, science, uh, English, etc. And over a longer period of time, these students are actually much more likely to drop out of school. They're much less likely to go on to college. Uh, so very long lasting, uh, pretty traumatic impacts uh, on their academic performance. So you mentioned there that graduation rates are falling for these students when an officer-involved killing happens. Do you have any quantifiable numbers about what that looks like? Yes, I do. Uh, so these students are about uh, 3% less likely to, to graduate from high school. You know, that doesn't seem like a lot, but each police killing, if you think about all the students that live close to these events, especially sort of in a dense urban neighborhood, that's, uh, you know, a handful of students for each uh, police killing over sort of a 15-year period, which is what I look at in my paper, where there's over close to 40 or 50 police killings a year uh, in L.A., uh, this leads to something like 2,000 students dropping out of high school over this decade-long-plus period. I imagine these incidents also take a heavy mental toll on young people. What other ways, besides in the classroom, are these students impacted by police killings? Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult thing to quantify. Uh, we only have you know, certain measures that, that we can look at in this regard. Uh, one thing that we see is students are much more likely, following a police killing, uh, to be diagnosed with something called emotional disturbance. Uh, this is a pretty severe special education classification that the, that the district applies to students who are just really performing, you know, they're having a hard time in class, uh, they're having difficulty concentrating, and it's, it's very highly correlated with PTSD. And so students exposed to a police killing are about 15% more likely to be diagnosed with uh, emotional disturbance in the semesters after these events. They're also much more likely to say that they feel unsafe, sort of on self-reported survey data in their neighborhoods, around their homes, etc. So even if they aren't witnesses directly to the killing, if they're even around these events, they can be diagnosed with something akin to PTSD. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly right. You keep mentioning 
that these effects, they're long-lasting. The consequences of these killings are seen semesters after the fact. How dramatic can this be in the long term for these students? Yeah, so I mean, again, the, the furthest we can track them through sort of schooling data is we know whether or not they graduate from high school. We know whether or not they went on to college. And so you see students who are exposed to police killings that live within about half a mile of a police killing uh, when in ninth grade, they're then much less likely to go on to graduate from high school or to enroll in college. So that's, you know, looking over a horizon of four to five years. You, you can imagine that these effects sort of last longer, that they have effects even on young adults, um, people out of school, in the labor market, et cetera. We unfortunately don't have the data to track all of that. When we're talking about these impacted inner city students, you're only really talking about a certain subsection of them. Your findings do vary across racial lines. Yes, that's exactly right. And so these police killings are mainly and really only uh, affecting students, underrepresented students of color, so Black and Hispanic students. We're not really finding any effect, even being exposed to police killing for students who are white or reported as being Asian. When I first read that in your study, that was an eye-opening result, one I was certainly not expecting to see. Was that surprising to you, or was that something that you expected going into this research? I could have understood if it went either way, right? If it was the, it was the case that students of all colors were sort of affected equally, or if it was just this one subset of students. And I think it kind of boils down to how you think these effects are taking place. Like, why are students responding the way that they are to these police killings? Uh, on the one hand, you could imagine that, you know, someone's being killed, and that's just a traumatic event. So if you live close to one of these events, you know, you find out that your neighbor died or uh, a friend died, something like that. That's going to impact students sort of across color lines. On the other hand, you know, we know, as you mentioned uh, in the introduction, that the U.S. has a pretty complicated relationship with race and policing uh, specifically, and that there are a lot of concerns about, you know, racial discrimination in the criminal justice system. Obviously, we saw with George Floyd recently that when police are killing unarmed minorities specifically, that's triggering something among sort of underrepresented minority groups that's very different from just sort of like violent trauma. It's much more about these concerns about bias, these concerns about discrimination. Uh, and I think the racial patterns that we see with regards to who's responding to these police killings uh, is very much representative of perhaps the, the latter explanation. That these events are occurring, and obviously they're traumatic in just a, a pure violence sense, but they're also sort of causing students to question uh, the extent to which the system might be biased against them as a result of their skin tone, um, and that in turn is leading them to, to question perhaps the value of going to school, uh, their prospects uh, for when they become older, et cetera, uh, in a way that really then differentially affects one group more than, so than uh, another. Another point I found super interesting in your research was that police-involved killings specifically are detrimental to students when compared with other forms of intra-community violence. Why does a death at the hands of the police affect students more than other types of killings? Yeah, I certainly think that there's, you know, there's something different about, you know, somebody just dying and, and the state killing that person, right? And I think in the United States, when we think about state-inflicted uh, violence, there's often these racial tones in which, you know, this is much more likely to, to involve racial minorities, specifically African-American uh, men, as well as uh, Hispanic men, uh, that these groups are much more likely to be killed by police in a way that triggers all these feelings of discrimination, these perceptions of injustice, etc. Absolutely. And so you're saying, if I'm hearing this correctly, there's a sort of feeling of helplessness by some of these students. Like, no matter what they do, there is still a chance they could have everything taken away from them, sometimes basically for nothing. Yeah, exactly. And, and in a way that is sort of like racially targeted towards certain groups, right? And that, that's something that comes out a lot in sociological work where, you know, there's ethnographic research where they're talking to people living in these types of communities where police killings are much more likely to occur, which are predominantly 
um, sort of minority heavy communities. Uh, that comes across if you look at things like the Turner Report uh, following the Watts riots in the, in the 60s, in which the gov federal government uh, commissioned an investigation of, you know, why were there a series of sort of riots across the United States in the mid 60s. It relates to this idea that for certain um, sort of underrepresented communities, underserved communities that are often targeted by heavy policing, there is this feeling of helplessness. There's this feeling that, you know, all these policies, all these actions are uh, racially biased and racially targeted in such a way that then bleeds into the extent to which, you know, you think it might be worthwhile to go to school. You think that, you know, the, the benefits of going to school and, you know, what that means for your labor market outcomes or your well-being, it's just very different for, for one group of students and for students of a different, uh, different group or different skin tone. I opened up our segment talking a little bit about George Floyd, and obviously that case garnered attention worldwide. Everybody was following the trial of Derek Chauvin very closely, and he was eventually convicted for murdering George Floyd. What kind of potential impacts do you see that this could have moving forward where an officer was eventually held liable um, for what they did? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think it's, it's to some extent to be seen what the, the impact of that is. Um, I would just caution that, you know, the Derek Chauvin case, the fact that he was convicted is super rare. The fact that he was even charged is super rare. So, you know, across the United States, about half a percent of officer-involved killings lead to an officer being charged with, uh, with a crime, much less, you know, um, being convicted. Uh, in my data set in Los Angeles, where I'm looking at 600 plus police killings over a 15-year period, there's only one incident in which an officer was charged uh, with an offense. And so, you know, we saw the opposite situation in the 90s of the Rodney King riot, where Rodney King was beat by police and it was recorded. And then those officers were sort of acquitted a year later, and that led to these huge riots in Los Angeles. You know, I think that we saw some sense that uh, after the Derek Chauvin case, and this is obviously just anecdotal, that there was a sense of relief, that there was a sense that perhaps we're moving the needle in a way towards justice as viewed by these uh, communities. But again, that's just one, you know, that's one case. And, you know, there's, there's close to a thousand police killings a year in the United States, most of which you might not hear about, most of which, you know, presumably uh, there's no charges being filed against police, et cetera. And so in a world in which, you know, these, these cases were prosecuted, perhaps uh, on a more regular basis, that might actually uh, have some impact on the marginal effects of future police killings. But, you know, what we've seen so far is just a, a single case study with Derek Chauvin and, and what happened there. Um, I think it's hard to draw conclusions about what we expect to happen uh, with the long-run ramifications of that hard going forward. Harkening back to earlier in our conversation about the effects that are seen in these students, the idea of perpetuated racism across generations is being hotly debated among pundits and politicians right now. It certainly sounds to me that these impacts you're describing fit the criteria of saddling minorities with a continual disadvantage. Is that a fair thing to say? I think it is fair to say that these events, um, which, first of all, are much more likely to, uh, to involve minorities to begin with. So, you know, a black man is much more likely to be killed by police than sort of a white man, uh, just sort of uh, based compared to sort of their population shares that even on top of that, these events also have sort of the, the detrimental impact on Black and Hispanic students in a way that doesn't, you know, affect white or, or Asian students, or rather in a way that uh, doesn't affect them in a way that shows up in their sort of academic performance, uh, et cetera. And so I, I do think that there's evidence that these events sort of have this sort of like racially disparate effect that, that then leads to or might perpetuate some of these uh, racial inequalities that exist to begin with. You initially published this paper very quickly after George Floyd's death, when the national spotlight was very intensely focused on police use of force. What has the reception to your research been like so far? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I should say that, you know, I've been working on this this project for, for some period of time, you know, back, I, I started in 2016. And, you know, this has been an issue, police violence has been an issue in the United States. Uh, and, then, and you mentioned this at the beginning of uh, your introduction, um, for decades, if not centuries, right? And that there have been concerns expressed about police violence, again, the Turner Report, again, uh, riots in the past, the Rodney King riots, etc. If you look in the past sort of like 50 years, like essentially all the largest urban riots that have occurred in the United States are all sort of preceded by acts of police violence. Um, and so I want to say uh, clearly that this isn't just sort of a new phenomenon that's going on. Obviously, I think uh, your point is that uh, the extent to which there is sort of like public concern about this has changed uh, recently with the Black Lives Matter movement, especially following the, the George Floyd killing. And so I think that there has been sort of renewed public attention uh, to this issue in a way that's drawing in people that, you know, not, don't necessarily think of policing through the same lens that uh, perhaps advocates of the Black Lives Matter movement do. Uh, and I think that has been really important, that that has been sort of a, a really important outcome of these tragic events is that now people, the conversation around police violence and the extent to which policing just differs very, uh, very dramatically across different types of communities, um, that is becoming a thing that is sort of public knowledge, that's becoming a thing where this sort of heightened concern about the, the potential social ramifications of, of that type of, uh, those types of patterns. And you mentioned that you started this research in 2016. And so in addition to being interesting, your study was also very novel. What gave you the idea to conduct a study like this? Obviously it preceded, like you were saying, a lot of the focus and attention uh, that's currently on this issue. What was the initial inspiration behind this? Yeah, well, initial inspiration was, you know, to really understand what these ramifications were. Um, again, I think historically there's been a lot of concern expressed by um, uh, minority communities, by uh, these things like the Turner Report, public events, certainly academics and other disciplines, sociologists, uh, ethnic ethnographers, etc., have raised the specter that police violence might have these really long-lasting. Uh, impacts on communities, specifically communities of color, for specifically these exact uh, same reasons, which is that they sort of perpetuate these uh, perceptions of injustice, these perceptions of sort of institutional discrimination. Um, and I think the issue is that there, there just wasn't a ton of sort of empirical evidence about really quantifying, you know, how big are these impacts, like who's being impacted by them, uh, et cetera, in a way that then um, can help to to think about policy, right? So on the one hand, we can think of police as, you know, having a whole bunch of different roles in the community, some of which is to provide public safety, some of which is to do other things. Uh, and I think historically, we've really thought of just that one side of the ledger, right? So how are police affecting crime? Whereas there's this completely other side of the ledger, which again, these other um, disciplines and spheres of uh, academia have raised, which is that there could be costs to policing in a way that don't show up uh, on outcomes that we've historically been looking at. Um, and so I think uh, really trying to fill that gap uh, and thinking of the best way to try to actually do that in a, in a, in a convincing causal way uh, was sort of the impetus for, for my project. Um, and I realized that, you know, especially in, in these inner city communities where, you know, police killings aren't random, they're much more likely to occur in more disadvantaged neighborhoods to begin with. And so if you're trying to measure something like, you know, what's the impact of these events on students' GPA and whether they go to school or not, there's a lot of potential confounds going on. Right. Um, and so I think um, the key was really just getting detailed enough data that allows us to really isolate the, the causal impact of these police killings on the students that live close by. You mentioned that other researchers in different realms of academia have also pinpointed the criminal justice system and specifically policing um, as maybe having unseen consequences. 
And so is this kind of a nascent field that we're looking at? Yeah, I certainly think so. There's other recent work uh, from quantitative sociology looking at, for example, the impact of just aggressive policing more generally rather than police stealing specifically on student outcomes. I have new research looking at the effects of police stealings on um, voting outcomes. Uh, there are researchers in, in public health that are looking at the impacts of police stealings on the mental health of black adult males living in the same state. So I think that there's increasingly this idea that, you know, we've been missing a big chunk of the story around how we even think about policing, right? And what we think of the impacts of policing um, in a way that is really important if we want to try to think about, you know, what's the optimal level of policing? Like what does, what does policing, what should policing look like in a way that like very much sort of uh, takes into consideration sort of the, the holistic view of like what community health is. Um, and so I think that there is, this is very much sort of a nascent field, but, that, but one that is sort of growing very much in, in recognition of this exact idea that, you know, there, there are these unseen costs and we should really try to think about how to measure them. So you're saying that in addition to this increased public perception, the growing Black Lives Matter movement and the protests, the marches, all that stuff, that this research is going to hopefully someday become a tool for these people to eventually change actual policy someday. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to necessarily sort of like pigeonhole it that it's just like certain minority groups are interested in this. I think in more generally, if we think about like, like what, it, what should policing be, right? And like how for a given community should we decide, you know, how much police we should have and, you know, what are the policies around use of force or what are the policies around what police should and shouldn't be doing, like what domains they should be interacting with. I think we really do need to have an accounting of, you know, yeah, there's a very important role that police might play in terms of public safety, in terms of, uh, crime rates, etc. Uh, there's also a very public uh, and important role that police play in terms of just the fact that they're a very visible arm of government, right? And that they might impact how people view the government. They might impact distrust in the government uh, or trust in the government. Uh, they might impact in, in, in the circumstance here, like whether or not students are doing well in school. Uh, and just this understanding that this is a very important institution that we have, which is law enforcement. Um, and really, how do we optimize that? Right? And I think to, to do that, we really need to think about both sides of the ledger uh, with regards to what's actually going on uh, right now with, with regards to policing. What first attracted you to this line of study concerning race, education, and government, even going beyond this paper? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So, you know, I, I think on a personal level, um, I grew up in Virginia uh, in an area where there just weren't, I'm Asian, there weren't very many Asian people uh, around where I grew up. Uh, I think a lot about the role that institutions play uh, in our interactions with institutions play in terms of like how we view ourselves, how we view our place in society, uh, et cetera. And I think that if you're sort of a racial minority, if you're of any type of marginalized uh, identity in the United States, that is a thing that you're constantly trying to assess, right? The extent to which, you know, this institution is or is not welcoming of me. And really just trying to, to hone in on that and think about, you know, can we measure that in a way that really broadens our idea or broadens our understanding of like, what does race mean? Uh, what are the consequences of race? So this, I thought with police killings was sort of a very, you know, it's, it's a pretty limited window into that larger question, but it's one in which with the right data, with the right sort of empirical methods, we can really hone in and, and, and tell a pretty convincing story around, you know, what's actually happening in the wake of these police killings and why are people responding the way that they are in a way that hopefully tells us something broader about, you know, what are the consequences of race? What are the consequences of feelings of inclusion, of diversity, et cetera? So this is kind of a first step in that direction. Where do you personally want to do more research concerning this topic or related topics in the future? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think my hope uh, certainly for sort of more qualitative disciplines like economics, of which I'm a part, is to really just think more holistically around these things, right? Like I, I think traditionally uh, work in economics is, has a very specific view of what discrimination is, of how we measure it, et cetera. Uh, and I think what I'm showing in this paper, hopefully, is that you know there's this, there's this action that occurs, and obviously there's debate about whether or not a single police killing might be racially biased or not. Uh, and I think sort of agnostic of that, you can see that there are these sort of racially disparate impacts, right, in a way that then leads to these cycles of inequality and, and, and racial disparities in a way that um, really emphasizes that, you know, this is occurring outside the school. You know, somebody's just being killed. It might not even be somebody the student even knows, but then it has all these sort of social ramifications with regard to that student's livelihood, right, in a way that's very clearly tied up with race. And I think that sort of broader understanding of how we've been thinking about race is, is hopefully, I think, where we would go in terms of thinking about the measuring sort of the, the empirical ramifications of that. You've alluded to this earlier in answer to some of my previous questions, but I just want to ask you one more time. Where do you hope 30, 40, even 50 years down the line that this research, what impact do you hope it eventually has? Yeah, I mean, I think the hope that I have is that, you know, that we think more carefully about these ramifications of, of police violence, of policing more generally, of, you know, the social impacts um, thereof. I think, again, you know, there's, there's one field, the sort of traditional field of, of how we think about measuring the efficacy of police. There's this other field, and much of these concerns are raised by communities of color, of the fact that, you know, there might be all these adverse consequences, unseen costs of policing. And I think in terms of this research, related research, what we're going to gain from that is sort of a better holistic understanding of what the impacts of policing are in such a way that then we can reform policing in a way that very much takes into account these concerns that have historically been expressed, but in a way that's very much sort of like we can compare these things empirically, we can think about holistically, you know, what are the trade-offs that we have in having more or less police, what are the trade-offs that we have in having uh, more or less use of force. As more of this research comes out, and focusing specifically on yours as well, do you think people are going to be surprised by the actual impact that's had on a very personal level to these people when things like police-involved killings happen? I know that I was shocked and very sad to see some of the mental health impacts you mentioned in your paper, uh, but also you know, the falling graduation rates, the falling grades, and the lack of attendance following a police-involved killing. So do you think it's going to surprise the general public when some of these unseen consequences start to come to light? I think it'll surprise, um, it may surprise the public who are less familiar with sort of this history of policing in the United States. I think if you were to show my results to somebody in LA, you know, um, in one of these communities where police killings are much more likely to occur, they wouldn't be surprised by these impacts. I think uh, for people, and again, this is sort of the nature of policing, is that policing just looks super different in different parts, even within the same city, in different neighborhoods within the city, right? And so if you were to show these results to somebody, in a part of LA even, uh, where you know there's the friendly cop that you call whenever something happens, but besides that, you don't see them on the police, they're not stopping you, you're sort of just cruising around, they're walking on the sidewalk, uh, that might change their understanding of the fact that there are these huge disparities, right? That there are these huge consequences of these potential disparities. And so I think that would be the hope. Uh, I think that, again, everything that I find in this paper is entirely consistent with a lot of what's already been expressed uh, anecdotally and sort of like through surveys and public reports like the Turner Report of concerns that you know people have already expressed, uh, at least people coming from these uh, communities where police violence is much more common.
What do you think the impact would be if you were able to open the eyes of certain individuals in more rural settings than Los Angeles or these other large cities and counties? What do you think the impact would be if these people were able to look at this research and kind of be able to empathize and maybe place themselves in the shoes of these people who are so drastically impacted? I can't necessarily speak for the impact it would have and if for somebody that's other than me, you know. Um, I will say that, you know, I hope the impact would be that one, it causes them to question the extent to which, you know, our own interactions with police are representative of what's actually happening throughout the country and in different parts of uh, the country. I think that sort of fundamental understanding of like what does policing look like in different neighborhoods and different cities, et cetera, is just something that uh, is very hard to, to think about often. And I think more generally, the hope would be that this clearly tells us something, uh, in my opinion, about race and about what it means to be a, a, a racial minority in the United States to face this type of trauma. And I hope that people would take this and understand that there's, you know, this is just a very small sliver of various other interactions you could have in your life where you think that there's some type of racial bias involved, that you think that you've been discriminated against uh, by an institution, and that those ramifications could be you know, just massive in a way that we just haven't really been able to capture and may never be able to capture, whether that's very much at the heart of, you know, what does it mean to be a minority in the U.S.? That's Dr. Desmond Ang. He's an assistant professor of public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School, and his latest study was recently published in the Quarterly Journal of Economics. Desmond, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Dan. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio, and if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot, and I'm Dayton Olander. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.